In today's podcast, we talk to Frank Dick. Frank is an international motivational speaker who works with different athletes and coaches. Today, we talk to Frank about his role in British athletics, his time in South Africa, and working with Eddie Jones. He also talks about different methods and ideas on how to deal with uh, mindset and attitudes. I hope you enjoy it. And as ever, if you have any feedback, tweet us at the Curve Mindset or email us at thecurvemindset at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy. Welcome everyone to the Curve Podcast. Uh, my name is Lauren McGinley. I'm one of the co-founders. Uh, I'm really delighted to, to have uh, Frank Dick on the line today. How are you, Frank? I'm pretty good. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thanks. Just got a couple of questions on kind of mindset and the kind of experiences you have uh, working with different people and athletes. So, what does a uh, mindset mean to you? Well, I suppose really, it comes, it's, it's, I wouldn't use the word mindset. I think it's about attitude. You know, the, in everything in life, uh, every, every endeavor you have, you've got to have a sense of vision as where you're trying to get to, and you've got to found that in a set of values. And then somewhere between these two things, all the time, your behavior should reflect them. Um, and that's driven, it's fueled, if you like, by your attitude. Um, in, in my world of sport uh, and in the competitive world of business, I start off with a sense of attitude of um, if losing doesn't hurt, winning doesn't matter. You've, you've got to be that hard about the whole thing. Um, and that, that then sort of sheds itself down to um, your standards in life as, as to, you know, one of the first things that I was t- discussed when I was started working with um, England Rugby was uh, to, to agree with Eddie that what you accept in training is all you can expect in the arena. Yeah. And that, that applies both to coaches and to the athletes. Well, definitely. It's all the standards, you know, and keeping it going. Um, just uh, the first question. Um, you're a high-performance director of the South African Sports Federation and Olympic Committee. Um, how did you deal with athletes with kind of different mindsets, with growth and fixed? And if you have any examples of this? Well, it's, I, I think you'd be you're surprised how many people would claim to have a growth mindset, but they're actually pretty fixed. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like the world of change, isn't it? I mean, change is something that we all believe is pretty necessary. I mean, it's part of, it's a continuing thing in life. As, uh, as our bard once said, uh, look abroad through nature's range, nature's mighty laws change. So... Um, we, we know that's there all the time, and we, we know it's important to lead change and to be adaptable to it, of course, if it's, um, if it's being imposed on us. But unfortunately, when it comes to ourselves personally, that sometimes doesn't resonate properly. So we're happy for other people to change, but don't ask us to get our own comfort zone. And so coming back to your first question of uh, attitude there is, 
um, or, or issue of attitude is that you've got to learn uh, to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You've got to uh, get yourself into um, a mindset uh, and, and the people that you're coaching and influencing must have a similar mindset or attitude, if you like. And that is, first of all, um, that, that you never arrive. You never arrive. There's always another point to go to. You can always be better at something. You can always do something differently. And once you get into that kind of growth mindset, growth attitude as opposed to fixed attitude, this sort of embracing of change, um, you you actually try to leap ahead of it. So there's there's a there's a, a quote that I very often use from a guy called. Uh, uh, Giulio Duhe, who was a, an Italian general back in this, the start of last century, not this one. And he came out with a beauty. Victory smiles upon those who anticipate the change in the character of war, not upon those who will adapt to themselves, adapt to it themselves after the changes occur. Now, um, on, on the one hand, I embrace that completely. For, for, because if you're trying to be great in life, it's not enough to be better than what excellence was yesterday or today. You've actually got to anticipate what excellence is going to look like tomorrow. You know, you, you, you can't look at an Olympic Games, uh, the, the end of one Olympic Games and think, right, all I have to do is be a wee bit better than what's, what's happened this year. You've actually got to say, well, where will it all go? Oh, definitely. Just how far can it, can it go into the future? And, and once, you can do, once you do that, then you can properly prepare the journey. However, once you're in there, and this is what I'm not too sure about Duhay's quote, I agree with the looking ahead, but the adapting part, I think you've got to have an attitude, mindset, whatever you want to call it, that is like, um, if, if you imagine Newton's cradle, you know, these, these, these metal balls, and you bounce the ball, if you take the one ball off the one end, and let's call that disruption, Right? You've got to have a disruptive mind. You've got to disrupt the opposition. You've got to disrupt the world if you're going to change anything. So that ball comes off as disruption. When it comes down, the first ball it meets you call dream. The next ball it meets you call decision. The next ball you meet is called design. And the one that flies off the other end is called delivery. But you know for sure that's going to swing right back down again. And you you've got to be prepared to constantly disrupt the other. Once you put all these things together, I think you get absolutely the right attitude for moving forward. And speaking to the athletes and the coaches in South Africa, my job I didn't see as working directly with the athletes. It was my job to influence the influencers, the coaches, to get inside their heads to help them think differently, what they can do better, and what different things they can do to make a winning difference in the future. And for the most part, that worked. Yeah, because um, we're talking about kind of mindsets and trying to keep the, you know, the growth kind of thing and the attitudes. How did you deal with maybe people who are a bit negative, you know, towards the change? Because some people are, you know, stuck in, the, stuck in their own ways. Or did you try and influence the, the other people? Or did you just try and kind of keep a, a kind of balance and try and keep the, you know, the coaches kind of happy? Well, there's no point of people being happy. I mean, you've got, you, you got, got to learn in life to have what, what I would call a, a culture of constructive candor. 
you've got to say it the way it is. In the Nari Kingdom, we tend to be far too polite. We, we, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to offend them. But you see, in being, unless you're candid, you're not honest. Unless you're candid, you, you, you're not accountable. And if you're not honest, you won't develop trust. And if you're not accountable, you won't develop respect. But it all starts with being candid with people. You don't have to be cruel. You don't have to be rude or abrasive. But you've got to say it the way it is. Now, for a while or not in that process, of course, you can try to persuade. You can try to encourage and you can try to motivate. And, and of course, you have to understand the person you're speaking to. But in the end, there comes a, a point where I have to go back to, to, to Horton when he took over as the, chair, the, the CEO of um, BP, when um, it, he, he tried all of these things. And then he came to one meeting and he said, um, it's pretty clear to me that some of you leopards are going to have to change your spots. Uh, if you can't, they'll have to go leopard spotting. And so I think there comes a point where um, if you're not going to fit in with the, the bigger mission that you belong to here, um, leave. You see, I, 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 don't, I don't get these situations, Laurie, where people say, well, the, 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 the company or the business... Um, uh, I, I don't agree with some of their values. Well, if you don't leave, because the only values that should operate when you work for an organization are the, one, the ones whose colors you wear. You'd better belong to that. But coming back to the business, you've got to be very smart in making sure that people agree, we all agree our values. We agree our vision. That's part of a growth mindset. Yep. To, to, to involve people in their future. If they don't feel involved, they won't feel part of it. If they don't feel part of it, you'll always have this possibility that you're swimming against the tide with them. Yeah. Um, going forward, um, you're a British Athletics uh, Federation Director of Coaching. What was the, the biggest achievement and the challenges uh, through that? Well, I suppose... There's, uh, we've all got our personal sense of achievement that might mean something to yourself but not mean very much to other people um, I, I remember um, for, for example celebrating the fact that I had something like uh, 50 coaches responsible for the Olympic team who went to Barcelona now why should I feel chuffed about that well, it means that there were 50 people and 50 coaches in my sport in the UK who were capable of coaching an Olympic athlete. Now, in the former times, it used to be a small group, of, a smaller group of coaches. In recent times, people have tried to to create the notion of centralising the development of athletes. You know, high performance centres and so on. Uh, and but the, the French worked worked this out. And just in, in, when I was a chief coach. I saw it as my job to help the coaches wherever they were to do their job. In France, INSEP is the big academy of, uh, of, of coaching or physical education in Paris. And they had the, the first idea was, let's get everybody in there. But they, they twigged that that wasn't working. And so they have a more flexible scheme. The one that's, if, you, if we're going to offer you this, come. If you can't come, we'll help you where you are. And so I, I think that was a that was a point of celebration for me. More coaches, 
But the other side of that is, uh, of course, Daley Thompson uh, was my boy, and I was very proud of what he achieved as an Olympic uh, champion, world record holder. There are also things like the European Cup. I was always told that the European Cup was something we would never win. Even my best coaches would say, you're never going to win this. Uh, in these days, um, uh, the, the teams that were going to win were the Soviet Union um, or the German Democratic Republic, East Germany. We were going to be a very bad third uh, at, at best. And I did my homework when it came to Gateshead for the, the European Cup. And I realized that in the men's team, um, uh, I, I had to put... I'd, I'd done my, I'd, I did the homework of, um, of counting the points. So just to explain, there are 20 events. You get eight points if you're first in each event. You've only got one athlete in each event. You get 160 points maximum are out there. And there are 20 opportunities to get. So, uh, but who's going to get 160? Uh, so I did my sums. And it worked out that we were only 14 points away from the big two. And I wondered, how do I get over to my, my, my team of superstars um, that they could actually put the flag to the top of the flagpole or leave it on the floor? And so I did this. Uh, because I got a whole range of quality athletes in there. I said, um, we've, got a, we, we've got a mountain to climb here. And it's a 14-point mountain. Um, and it's a mountain because you don't have another chance. You've only got today and tomorrow. It's 14 points because that's the difference between what you're worth on paper and what the opposition is. But what that means is that if you're worth one point on paper because you're a beginner and you can turn that to two, it gives me just as big a step up the mountain as if you more established athletes who are worth five can turn yours to six. And as for you, Linford Christie and Colin Jackson, eight's all I expect from you, so don't give me seven. Well, by the time the, way, the, 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 the competition was over, the men had the trophy, the women had the highest number of points ever recorded by a West European team. How is that possible? It was because and if I had, I'd found a moment in my life when I could persuade, persuade, persuade people who were in an individual sport that their contribution, climbing to the top of their mountain, actually made a difference to the flag that you were wearing. And it's a different kind of teamwork, if you like, Laurie. Teamwork we normally see is people cooperating, working, thinking for each other and so on. But there's another kind of teamwork, and that's what you can contribute to the bigger vision that you have in life. And that, to me, was an achievement. That was brilliant. Really, really interesting. Um, going on, um, I know you work with um, Eddie Jones. Um, how is he uh, to work with? Is he... Eddie's brilliant. He seems... Eddie's brilliant. I'm like, I'm like a kid in a toy shop um, working with him because uh, very very similar standards, very similar approach to life. He is definitely strong on candor. Um, he is definitely strong on the highest standards of preparation. And um, uh, my function uh, as a strategic consultant is to work with him on different ideas, but also to work with his coaches and work with them and lifting their coaching game. Uh, I'd say it doesn't need to be need uh, much lifting, but the fact is, uh, as I said earlier, you never arrive, um, and you've got to have at the back of your mind that there's always another step to go. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how Gregor Townsend's thinking in Scotland with the Scottish rugby team. Yeah, because um, how how assuming you were talking about, kind of he's a, a kid in a candy shop, is he 
it, but when it comes to the kind of Siemens planning, it seems like it's meticulous everything. But how do you inspire him? If it, let's just say he was having a bad day or his team's having a bad day, how do you kind of inspire him uh, to try and get to that next level? Well, I think it, it's he will never need any inspiration. I can tell you that right now. He's just got this. He's got this um, sense of uh, motivational resilience that will always bounce back. Um, for sure, losing hurts with him, um, uh, and for sure, winning is the is, is the total commitment um, to push through to a successful rugby world cup. Um, you can't do that without meticulous planning. And, and whilst that he'll, he'll have his own approach to that, um, I can't believe for a moment that uh, Gregor isn't doing the same thing, that uh, Warren's not doing the same thing in Wales, Joe's not doing the same thing across in Ireland. Um, the, the French, when they turn up, they're going to be pretty good as well. Um, me- meanwhile, at the other side of the world, you can be certain that New, New Zealand, Australia, and, and, and don't ever dismiss South Africa, they're going to be working at the same time. So... It's not going to be easy out there, but the same code, if you like, is practiced by every one of these incredible coaches. You've got to be ahead of the game, and you've got to plan to get there. And I have to say, to in, in order just to, to come back to the world of coaching, uh, you've got to remember in life, Laurie, that coaches don't plan forwards. They plan backwards. That's why you've got to have a huge goal at the end of the day. You've got to see what excellence is going to be. And if that's the case, if that's what it's going to be on the 2nd of November... Uh, 8 o'clock in the evening in the, 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 the Yokohama Stadium in Tokyo. If that's what it's got to be then, where do you have to be six weeks before that? Where do you have to be six weeks before that in order to make these steps? Right. So you don't go incrementally forward. You have the big vision. And these coaches that I've just mentioned, every one of them have got that sense of vision. Uh, brilliant. Um, just, um, we're just kind of near the end. Um what or who inspires you and why? It could be a coach, it could be a family member, it could be someone you look up to. Uh, and how do you uh, try and get the best of yourself when you're maybe having a kind of bad day? Uh, so I, 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 I have to say, I'm really um, an addict to observing excellence if it, wherever I can. So people like... Uh, I don't know if you saw the, the Federer um, uh, Chilich game. That was uh, brilliant. In the, the, the final, absolutely brilliant. I mean, here, here you see a guy who is the epitome of finding a way. You find a way to win. Um, and, 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 and what an interesting story that you can go off colour for, for a few seasons and still come back. And, but, but you don't go off colour and do nothing. When, when things are not working for you, you go back to the drawing board and you start to rebuild. You build, you build on your strengths, of course, but those areas that are compromising your strengths because you're perhaps weak, in this particular case, it was a backhand, you start working on that. And um, I, I really love that. And I also like looking at um, where genius comes from. So, for example, in, in the middle of reading Isaacson's uh, biography of uh, Leonardo da Vinci at the moment. Um, it's, it's, a, it's quite a tome, I have to say, but uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's worth the read for an understanding what makes genius work. And in his particular case, it's the capacity to join up the dots in life, to look outside where you are, where, where your 
um, specialisms are in life, to look out at other, other areas and to be able to make the connections. That's the critical bit. It's all very well looking at them, but can you connect them back into what you're doing? The second thing is uh, his, his, his capacity to observe. Now, this to me is it's quite a challenge to a modern generation. I'll tell you why. We're now in a world where uh, you, you technically speaking, you don't have to observe because you can get analysis done, datas, all sorts of informations, and you can look at that stuff after the event. Now, as a coach, you've got to be very careful of that because my generation, okay, I'm a dinosaur, but we didn't have things like videos and so on to start off with. So you had to have the capacity to look at things and see something, to listen to things and hear something, and to coach in the moment, to come in straight away and influence coaching in front of you at that point. And I don't think that's any different in business, by the way, than it is in in um, in, in sport. Why should you wait to the end of the year um, review? You should be constantly in and out, um, being able to see the big picture like um, as if you're standing in the balcony and understand the detailed picture as if you're playing on the stage. You could be have to be able to come in and out like that. And I think he was absolutely brilliant at that. And of course, there was also his creativity, his ability to fantasize and to li to, to link fantasy with reality. And where does that, where is that for you and I? You've got to be able to dream in life. For goodness sake, have, have the biggest dreams you can imagine. Um, but at the same time, do you understand the realities and can you make the bridge between the two? Yeah, it's inspiring because he's um, 35, Roger Federer, and just, he's still one of the greatest, you know, of all mm -hmm. time. But it's just like, he looks like he just, you know, plays like a 20 year old, you know, just the same kind of, he's just meticulous in his planning too. And he'll be inspiring a lot of people, you know, like. And, uh, if, you, and if you didn't think that winning mattered to him, what were the tears for at the end of all of that? I know. Yes. That's passion. If you, I tell you what, right, if you don't have a passion for what you do, don't go in there. No, definitely. The passion's got to be there first. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. You just have that kind of mindset of, like, kind of, you know, like, he's probably, as you said, he went through kind of that patch where he didn't play as well, but he still practiced, practiced, practiced to get to that next level, you know, and then, you know, that's where he is now. You just put that passion, you see it. Every time he wins something, it's the tears, but it's just the tears of, you know, I've, I've created something again. But um, just uh, one final question. Um, where can people find your work? Uh, online, social media? Well, just the, just the Frank Dick website, you get onto the, you get some stuff out of that. Um, there's, there's also stuff on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And uh, for those people who like to follow uh, Twitter, um, I put a coaching point on Twitter every night of some kind. Um, and I've been doing that since tw since I started with Twitter, so there's a couple of thousand in there at the moment. So. Yeah, perfect. All right. Okay. Thanks very much for your time, Frank. You've been really inspiring. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Any feedback, 
tweet us at The Curve Mindset or email us at thecurvemindset at gmail.com. Thanks.